Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Let me call um, back to memory something that happened in 2018 that probably most of us, if not all of us, remember. Um, In 2018, literally uh, media around the world was gripped uh, with an event. Uh, If you'll recall in June, it was in June in 2018, in Thailand, a coach and his soccer team went for some post-practice fun. They went to explore a cave that the coach had been in. And when they went into the cave, what they didn't anticipate was torrential rainfall that would come while they were in the cave and essentially trapping them inside. You guys remember that? It was all over the news. It was, it was, it was incredible. Um, it, was, it was just one of those stories that gripped everyone's attention. And it, it, and it wasn't just over in a day. I mean, it took weeks. And, uh, and it's a fascinating story. Um, in fact, I read that there was, uh, there was a British cave diver who handed this note to the Thai government that read this. He said, the note said, uh, wrote three names on it, Rick Stanton, Rob Harper, and John Valanthin, in the note said, they're the world's best cave divers. Please contact them. Time is running out. On July 2nd, the team went missing on, July, on June 23rd. On July 2nd, Stanton and Valanthin, who were reached out to and showed up on the scene, finally broke through the complex tunnels and dangerous waters to discover the coach with all of his team accounted for. But that wasn't the end of the story. See, what made this event so perilous was the real, like the, like the living reality that this team, even though they were discovered, may not make it out alive. In fact, the coach said that when they, when, when they had first uh, gone into the cave and they realized water was rushing up, he went and dove into the water trying to see if he could get out and then maybe get the kids out. And he couldn't do it. It was too dark It was too dangerous. He couldn't hold his breath long enough. And the reality of this situation is that this coach and these 12 boys were in an absolute perilous situation. They could not get out. Time was running out for them. Oxygen was running out in the cave. It wasn't even that they were in in safe. Like one of the concerns, one of the realities is that literally time was, because oxygen was running out where they were. And the longer they waited, the more likely they weren't going to, be, to get out. The only way, the only way they could possibly get out is if someone was willing to enter the waters and navigate the dark tunnels and the flood, uh, flood-covered tunnels to get to them and then to bring them out one by one. They could do nothing to save themselves. They were in a perilous situation. Someone had to go into the water to get them. Here's the reality of our situation. Physically, we are not in danger sitting in this room. There's no physical danger. But spiritually, that could be another, could be another answer to that. Spiritually, there may be some of us right now that are on life support. Spiritually, Mentally, emotionally, there could be many of us who are just, we're hanging on by a thread. And 
we all look like we got it together. Like we're all, you, we're, you're a good looking group of people, all right? We all, we know how to present ourselves. But under the surface, what's happening underneath the surface? The fact is, is that all of us are in a perilous situation because there is a river of sin that separates us from God and there is no way through it unless someone comes into the water to come get us. And that's what I wanna talk about today. I wanna talk about this incredible, this amazing moment in Jesus's life. And this Christmas season is full of hope because it's a unique season where we, we remember, we remember that God was born, like he became a baby and he entered the world to be with us. He was born on Christmas day to be with us. And by entering our world, he entered our pain, he entered our struggle and he entered our temptations. He entered our dreams and joys. He entered life to be with us. And Jesus's baptism is extremely significant. In fact, I don't know if you read this story about Jesus's baptism and consider the real life implications it has for you, but this story has real life implications for us. Like it should impact how we live and how we think and how we feel today and tomorrow and next week. So we're gonna take a look at Matthew three. We're just gonna start with verses 13 through 15. Jesus enters the water. Jesus steps into the Jordan River. And he steps in with John the Baptist to be baptized. That's why we call him John the Baptist. He baptized. He, he, he steps into the water. And he comes to John. And John has the response that you and I should have. I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine Jesus Christ coming to you or coming to myself and saying, hey, I'd like, just finding you after service, I'd like you to baptize me. Like, this is what's happening in this moment. John is, he's not like half angel, half man, like he's just a guy. John, he's an amazing guy, but he's just a guy. He's just a guy that needs to repent as well. Like, he, he's a guy. And, and, and that's exactly what John says to him. He says, why are you coming to me to get baptized? Which is what we would say if Jesus said, asked us to baptize. Why are you coming to me? I should be getting what you have. I need to receive from you. I need you to baptize me in what you have. He asked the question that we probably all, if we really are thinking about the story, why is Jesus getting baptized? Because John's, John's message Remember, from a, John's message is a message of repentance. What is John inviting people to do? He's inviting people to enter the waters, to confess that they're a sinner, and repent, and then be baptized into this, what is a symbolic act of needing to be washed clean and entering into a new way of living, to turn away from their sin. So why is he who has no sin getting baptized? Jesus says, let it be so in order to fulfill all righteousness. And whether we know John knew what that meant or not, he concedes and he takes Jesus into the water. 
Jesus did not get baptized because he needed to repent of sin. Just as he did not get crucified because he needed to die because he committed a crime. In both instances, Jesus was absolutely and completely pure and innocent. It's important for us to know that. Absolutely innocent. But remember what John proclaimed when he saw Jesus? Do you, when, remember, we, we read this last week. When John saw Jesus, he declared, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. And last week, we recognized that that's what Jesus came to do. He came to take away our sin and to baptize or immerse us continually in his Holy Spirit. And I think in a way, his baptism is representative of how he's going to accomplish this feat, how he's going to take away our sin. He is going to enter the water. The water, think about this. I mean, people came out in droves to hear John. People were baptized. I mean, there's probably, there's probably thousands of people on the bank, multiple people in the water. This water where sinner after sinner after sinner had just been baptized. The water where men and women were turning away from the things that they were ashamed of. Jesus enters those waters. He entered the waters of our sin. He enters the waters of our shame. He enters the waters of our guilt and our wrongdoing and our brokenness. In this moment, Jesus was identifying as one of us, as a sinner. What does the scripture say? It says, though, though he committed no sin, he would ultimately become the one who was made to be sin on what? On our behalf. He who committed no sin was made to become sin. It's like Jesus saying, I'm coming to you. I'm meeting you where you are. I'm entering the waters. I'm coming into the river. I'm stepping into this sin. I'm bridging the gap. It's why we, the name Emmanuel is so, so beautiful. Emmanuel, God with us. I mean, this, this is the reality. Think about that. The profoundness that Jesus, he entered into our mess so he could be with you. Like, I don't know how, what you think of yourself, but God is so crazy about you, he was willing to enter the darkest places in the worst places so he could be with you. He is God with us, and Jesus is going to perfectly walk out faithful obedience to his Father in heaven. He is going to do what we cannot so that he can be with us, and it's so important that we grasp this. This is this is this is something that we know. It's information that we have in our head. But I think oftentimes we get caught up in not living in this reality, in this truth. I think it's a question that pops up in the back of our mind because, see, if God is with us, there is a real enemy who wants to usher in through the back door as best he can to get us to question anything that God is. So, if God is with us, then the enemy of God wants us to believe that he's not with us. How does he do that? You go through something hard. Oftentimes he loves to, to jump on when we go through a struggle. Life throws us a curveball. Life doesn't turn out how we expected. And then there's the thought. It's just a quiet thought in the back of our head. 
is God really with you? I, I mean, if he was with you, would he really let that happen? And what the enemy loves to do is he loves to get his foot in the door. He loves to just create a little bit of a wedge. He likes to just try to inch his way in because if he can get us to question the goodness and the truth and the reality of who God is, he can create distance between us and him. And here's the, and the and crazy thing is, is that as he creates distance, he's creating distance from the only one who can truly carry us through the pain or difficulty that we're going through. He's the only one who can restore us. He's the only one who can heal us. He's the only one who can redeem us in the midst of the suffering and the pain. That's who he is. He is God with us. He shows us in his baptism and he fulfills it on the cross and then he raises us to life in his resurrection. And what is his promise to his disciples at the end of John 14? He says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, Jesus said. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. This is, again, information we know. I'm not telling you anything profound. If you are in Christ, you've been to church, like you know this, but are you, my question is, are you living in this? That God is with you. You are not alone. You are not overlooked. You are not lost track of. You are none of those things. Those are all lies. He's with you. And then, there is this amazing moment. Jesus comes out of the water and the Trinity is put on display. You have Jesus, the Son. You have God, the Father. You have the Holy Spirit coming upon him. I mean, just imagine. If you could just picture this with me, just a moment. Because not only do you have the Trinity on display, but what the Father says to Jesus in this moment Here's Jesus standing in the river. John's still confused. He's sitting here covered in the water that represents our sin and our shame and our guilt and every reason why we don't deserve to be called sons and daughters of God. Here's Jesus covered in that water and the Father's voice comes through. What does he say? This is my son. Not who I'm embarrassed of. Not who I am questioning what he's doing. No, no, no. The son who I am well pleased. That's what the father says over the son. He's, he, this is a proud father moment. He's saying, this is my boy. He, he is declaring literally from the heavens over Jesus where thousands of onlookers can hear. He's saying, this is my son. This is the one that I love. This is my boy and I'm proud of him. I'm pleased with him. He's mine. He belongs to me. Proud of what? What is God proud of? Consider, I mean, think about this. This moment is the moment where most scholars and theologians basically all agree that this is the start of Jesus' public ministry. Up until this point, we are, Jesus has not performed that we know of a miracle. He's not gone from town to town declaring the good news. He has not, he has, he has not made the blind see. He's not made the lame, lame walk. He's not walked on water. He hasn't died for our sins on the cross. He has not, has, he has not completed his mission. 
Why is that significant? This is so significant because we have to see that the father is not in, does not love Jesus, is not proud of Jesus because of what he's done. He loves him and he's proud of him because of who he is. And that has extraordinary implications for you and I. Because what does the Bible tell us? It tells us that when the moment we put our faith in Jesus, the moment that we receive him as Lord and Savior, that we put our trust in him, in that moment we cross from death to life. It uses the language that we are born again. Not a physical birth, a spiritual birth. We are born again. We are born into a family. Guys, the moment that your faith became activated and alive in Christ, the moment that happened, your Father in heaven shouted over you, that's my boy, that's my girl. Angels rejoiced and God declared how proud he was of you. What had you done? Nothing. Nothing. And we need to receive this and hear this and live in this because what the enemy wants to do is he wants to continually trap us in a performance-based relationship with God where we have to approach him or come near him based on how good or bad our day or week has been. He loves for us to get caught up in this cycle. Well, I had a bad week. Enemy loves to come in. Yeah, you weren't so good this week. You probably should keep your distance. Probably should keep those hands down and worship. You did a few things that kind of caught God off surprise this week. He loves you, but I don't think he likes you. I mean, I know it almost sounds silly, but these are thoughts that go through our head. And, we, be, and we, can, we can fall into the deception that we approach God based on what we do and not who we are in him. Not as a son and daughter. That's why it's so Critical that we see what the Father says over Jesus and understand that if you are in Christ, you are hidden in Christ. You are in him. You've not received adoption. You have not received a spirit of fear, but a spirit of adoption. You're co-heirs with Christ. You're sons and daughters in this house. And you have a Father who loves you and delights in you. That's not dependent on what you do. It's despite of what you do. I'm not saying, he, I mean, he disciplines because he's a good father. He loves us. It's like there's no consequences. He doesn't let his kids run spoiled and loose and crazy. I mean, he's a good father. But we approach him not based on our merit. We don't earn something from him. We receive his grace and mercy, which actually liberates us. It gives us freedom to run harder and faster and further because we're not trying to get something. We're not trying to get something from him. We've got it. Got his love. We've got his affection. We've got his delight. We didn't earn it in the first place. You're not going to lose it. This is when my wife told me she was pregnant. My heart leapt and I fell in love with a baby I didn't see. I mean, I can remember when my oldest daughter, Claire, was born. She came out crying, like all babies do. I remember they put her in the warming table. She's crying. She's throwing a fit. I knelt down. I said, hi, Claire. She stopped crying. She turned her head towards me. I could cry thinking about it right now, even though it happened 12 years ago. No one had to put their arm around me and say, listen, your daughter is going to do some good things and some bad things, but you, you just got to just, you got to love her. You got to do it. 
Like it just, listen, when, when, that, when my wife, love was awakened in me. Like no one had to, has to make me love. When I laid eyes on her, I was wrecked. And then Nora came along and I was wrecked. And then Ruby came along and I was wrecked. And then Rosie came along and I was wrecked. Guys, I'm a wrecked man. Pray for me. I'm wrecked. I'm ruined. Out of affection and love. Listen, my daughters have good days and bad days. But I, and I got to remind them because they get caught up in it. I got to tell them when they're having bad days because I'm frustrated. Things aren't going hot at home. I got to come in on the back. And I said, listen, uh, listen, today was a bad day but I still love you. And that's nothing's ever gonna change that. Your father in heaven knows you have good days and bad days. But listen, if you let him, he is constantly speaking over you his love for you, his affection for you. You gotta receive it. You gotta walk in it. We gotta choose to believe it. He's a good father who loves his kid. This is, this is, Nothing of this is profound. All of this is foundation. But we have to guard our hearts and walk in this. And we want to ask the Holy Spirit to immerse us in this truth over and over. I need to hear this again and again. I need to, be, I need to preach to myself. And you are his son. He loves you. He's not against you. He loves you. He's with you. He hasn't forgotten about you. We got to preach this to ourselves. We got to ask the Holy Spirit to activate this and make this real that we can feel it in our hearts, in our souls. We have been brought into a family and now we get, we get the privilege and the opportunity to follow in his footsteps and be baptized. Baptism is massively significant. This is not some... Christian tradition that's been passed down that we just do because this is what, because Christians are weird. We drink out of tiny cups and we dunk ourselves in water. Like, that's not why. There's massive implications, massive meaning behind it. And, and it's not just because Jesus told us to, which he does, and it's good to do things that Jesus told us to. It's not just to follow in his footsteps. But it, it, while it is all those things, it's all those things and more. See, see, baptism is this moment where we get to demonstrate and put on display that we publicly identify with Jesus, just as he publicly identified with us. He publicly went into those waters in front of a crowd of people and said, I'm identifying with David Harrington, that sinner who is dead and separated from me. If I don't step into this what the Father has put before me, if I don't step into the, into the path of a sinner and walk this out all the way through the cross and through the resurrection, David Harrington is gone. He entered. He publicly, he publicly identifies with us on the cross. He who had no sin. In baptism for us, we get to publicly identify with him. We get to say, man, my Father gave his life for me. And now I, he, he identifies with me and I'm going to identify with him. He is mine and I am his. We go into underneath that water, just as Jesus did. But it, it re, what that represents is it represents that our life, that moment, whenever it happened, that moment where we put our faith in Jesus and all of a sudden our eyes were opened, our hearts understood that Jesus is God and he gave his life for us. In that moment, we were resurrected to new life and baptism is putting that on display. I'm buried. My old life is buried. It's under the water. It's gone. It's in the grave. It's in the tomb. Canceled. 
And then we come up and we have a new life. And listen, that new life, this new life in Jesus, we gotta put it on. We gotta put it on. We gotta believe it because there is an, there is an enemy that's just constantly lying to us. Constantly. But let's live in the truth and the good and in the grace and in the mercy of what God has afforded us. I just want to encourage you, if you've never taken that step of baptism, whether you gave your life to Jesus when you were five years old and you're 55 and you've never been baptized or you gave your life last, whatever your story is, if you have not entered into baptism with Jesus since you have put your faith in him, I just want to invite you to do that. Put your faith, in, no, not put your faith, sorry, follow in his footsteps and publicly identify with him just as he publicly identifies with you. He's not ashamed of you. Let's not be ashamed of him. Let's not, let's not hold him at arm's length. There's 100,000 reasons we can come up for not being baptized well. It's been too, too long. Actually, one of my favorite stories, one of my favorite uh, stories as of, as of late um, was when Allison Creswell got baptized. Allison Creswell is a member here. She got baptized. And she said in her story, this was her story. I remember sitting across from Starbucks with her, with one of the other elders, Kurt McCutcheon. We're talking to her. And she's like, I, you know what? I've, and she said this. She had all these reasons for why to not get baptized. It's been too long since I gave my life to Jesus. All these things. But then she had this moment. Where she's like, you know what? You know what? <sighs> I want to put all those reasons aside. I want people to know my life is for Christ. I want my kids to know that my life is in Christ. And I'm not going to be ashamed of any reason. I'm going to follow in his footsteps. I love that. Like, yes, hallelujah, praise God. Let's, let's follow him in baptism. And listen, and we, and the, and the, and we, don't, we don't baptize over and then baptize over and then baptize. Baptism is a one-time event, just like our salvation is a one-time. It's a finished work on the cross. Baptism represents what Christ accomplished through his death and resurrection. It represents that we have crossed over from death to life, that we've received something that we have not earned. It's a one-time event, but it's an important event. And maybe you're here today, and maybe you've had a bunch of reasons to not get baptized. I just want to encourage you to get baptized. Mark it on your communication, your connect card. Let somebody know. We'll dunk you. It'll be great. Let's not hide the miracle that Christ has done in you. He declares you are his. He's with you. He loves you. He adores you. Maybe today you just need that reminder. You just need that reminder that God's with you. You need that reminder that he loves you. You need that reminder that he hasn't overlooked you, lost sight of you, lost track of you, that he is not so put off by you that you need to keep your distance. We're not alone. We aren't forgotten. We aren't overlooked. Maybe today you just need to put that truth on. God loves me. He's pleased with me. That could be hard to say, but I would encourage you to say that at some point today. Just stop in your day and say, you know what? God is pleased with me. It's hard to say sometimes, but it's true. What would you be like without the baggage of the questions that nag you and undermine who God is and what he's done? What would it feel like to be released from performing for God and receive what he wants to walk with you in? He has a life that is with and not just, that is not for, it is with. He is with us. 
What if we were the ones who brought this good news to others? See, this is a season of, of good tidings and great joy. Why? Because we have the best news on the planet. We, are, we fall short. We've all messed up. None of us deserve, but we have a Father in heaven who loves us so much. He wants to liberate us. He wants to give us freedom. He wants us to walk in truth. It's the best news. And then church, we have been called. We have been created. We have been set apart to be his ambassadors, to be those who bring the good news of Jesus to others, to tell people there is a hope and there is a life and there is a freedom from the burden that you're carrying around. And it's Jesus. There's a God who has entered the waters so that he could get to you and set you free from your shame. Let's be a church. Let's be a church that with great joy brings good tidings to those around us. Will you stand and pray with me as the band comes? I know that we need the Holy Spirit to take the things that we are aware of in our head and make this real in our heart. So let's just ask him to do that. Let's ask the Holy Spirit. You know where you're at. You know what you're feeling. You know what you're struggling with. You know what fears and insecurities you have. So does God. So does God right now, and he wants to meet you in that place. Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that you entered the river, that you entered the water of our shame and our sin, that you would not stand to let it separate us from you. God, I just ask you, Lord, Holy Spirit, you know every person, every name, every circumstance, every hair on our head, Lord, you know. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to come upon each one of us and bring the revelation, bring the truth that we need to be washed in again, that we need to hear again, that we need to live in again. Help us, Holy Spirit, to be filled, to experience the love and the affection of the Father that's devoid of our performance. Thank you that we can approach you, that we're hidden in you, Christ that you've made a way, that you've brought us in, that we're your sons and daughters. What an amazing thing. What an amazing God you are to do this for us. We just say we love you and we need you. I ask you to speak personally to each one of us today. In your name, amen.